So we love having missionaries here and uh, the missions that we support and everything about that. Uh, of course, Oleg was here two weeks ago, and that was very impromptu. But now we're getting back into Romans. So we, good job, Romans 4. We left off at, ver, we finished verse 8, so we're going to continue on at verse 9 of Romans 4. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we will go as far as we can. We want to save time for uh, the Lord's table this, this evening. Um, and so let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this evening. We thank you for your provision. We thank you, Lord, that you've brought us here. Lord, that uh, those who are sick, you've brought back to us healthy, and we, we recognize that that is all from you. We thank you for your protection over our congregation. And now, Lord, as we enter into your word, we pray that you would teach us. Lord, I don't want to just be a mouth up here speaking words, but I, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would just allow the word to be received in each heart and understood. And Lord, let our hearts be fertile ground uh, for the work that you're going to do in us. So now we ask you to teach us and we thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in Romans chapter 4 and as we continue on, Paul has been helping us understand an argument. And it's actually a really encouraging argument for you and for me uh, and that's really that Paul's laying the basis, the foundations that, that we need salvation from God, and that salvation comes by faith uh, and faith alone. Wayne Axtell was actually surprised by confessions recorded from his own phone. After his arrest for writing a stolen Segway, police found recorded calls in which Axtell bragged about the thefts and burglaries he believed he got away with. The recordings made because he hadn't changed the phone's default settings even included details of crimes in which he was not a suspect. Axel Radley, prosecutor, told the court that uh, the uh, records linked Axel to 39 crimes across Oxfordshire, Buckinghamshire, in 2021. These included thefts of high-quality riding lawnmowers, garden equipment, as well as break-ins at the post office in Costa Coffee. Wayne Axtell, we all might say, wow, this guy is just a total idiot. But actually, when you see his record, he was a pretty good thief. Uh, You know, when we are bragging about our works before God, it's the same as bragging about crimes committed because all you're doing is amplifying all the crimes you've committed against God, all the sins and transgressions. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, it is the whole tragedy of mankind that it keeps on arguing against its own salvation. Man in sin is always anxious to claim a little credit for himself. And we don't want to fall into that trap There's a reason why Christ died on the cross for us. There's a reason why we need to respond to him in faith. It's because our good works and our deeds, our religion, doesn't cut it. It's never going to measure up. And so as we continue on here, Paul is actually talking about justification by faith. He's not saying one can't be religious, but he's saying that if you are religious, you still have to be justified by faith. And if you're not part of a religious group, you still have to be justified by faith. And so that's where we're picking back up in this argument. So starting at verse 9, does this blessedness 
then come upon the circumcised only, or upon the uncircumcised also. For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. So I'm going to pause there for a moment and help us understand this. So, so Paul has already argued the fact that being uh, religious or non-religious or being a total heathen, everybody needs justification by faith. That we have to believe in God, not in ourselves. But now he asks the question, well, then does that come by circumcision? Is circumcision the end result of that justification by faith? And so Paul just asked this simple question about Abraham, Father Abraham. Now, I want to just take you on a little detour back to Genesis for a moment. Uh, turn with me over to Genesis chapter 15. And verse 6, if you will. Now, uh, and by the way, Abraham was called in Genesis 12. God called him out of the land of the Chaldeans, out of Ur, and told him to go to a place that he would show him. And that was at age 75. We, we read that Abraham believed God and he followed God. Now when we get to Genesis 15, oh, but, and by the way, when, when, it, when God called Abraham, he told Abraham that he would... Uh, give him a son. Remember, Abraham was 75 years old when God called him and told him, I'll give you a son. Well, in Genesis 15, we don't know Abraham's age at this point, but we know he's older at this point than 75. And in 15 verse 6, we read this, and he, that's speaking of Abraham, believed in the Lord and, it, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So Abraham believed in the Lord and God accounted it to him for righteousness. And the, the idea of accounted is that God did the math. He added it all up because Abraham believed, believed in God. It equaled righteousness. And so in Genesis 15, God makes this incredible covenant with Abraham. He makes a promise with Abraham and he, he affirms that promise that he'll have an heir and that God will uh, give him land. Now, we, we go to Genesis chapter 17, and in Genesis chapter 17, this is when God gives the covenant of circumcision. In 17 verse 12, I believe it was verse 12, if my memory serves me right. Uh, did, did I give you that? Oh, 17, 11. Uh, and it says, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So in Genesis 17, God makes this uh, covenant of circumcision. Well, actually, sorry. God tells Abraham to be circumcised. But what is it? It's a sign of the covenant. Okay? It's not the covenant. That's not the, the, what makes the covenant. It's a sign of the covenant. So it, it means that you're identified now with God. Now, how old was Abraham in this? Well, we read in verse 24 of chapter 17, and you may even want to circle this and, and, or, or write it down in your margins for Romans 4, but you read in verse 24 of 17, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. So sometime between 75 and 99, God had made a covenant with Abraham and accounted it to him as righteousness. 
Then at 99, even after he declared Abraham righteous, because Abraham believed God, at 99 he gave him this sign of the covenant. So now let's go back over to chapter 4, because this helps us understand Paul's argument. So verse, uh, we left off um, verse 10. So in verse 10, Paul finished with that Abraham received, uh, was accounted as righteousness while uncircumcised. Now verse 11, and he received, speaking of Abraham, the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that the righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Now, this is uh, an amazing this is an amazing theological uh, gift that Paul has given to us in helping us understand this principle. Because I really think if Paul had not written Galatians and Romans, you and I would all be striving for religious deeds to outdo one another. You see, there's a question that we have to ask ourselves. We learn that Abraham was considered righteous, counted as righteous before he was ever circumcised. But, of course, the Jews who were circumcised believed that, no, no, we're, our father is Abraham. He's not your father. You're not the circumcised. You're, you're, you're not the, the Gentile. He's our father. And so the promises are only for us of righteousness. Well, let me ask you a question. Can people practice religious ceremonies and not believe in God? Yeah, absolutely. It happens all the time. Uh, you know, you, you can have people who say, well, I'm Catholic, but they really don't know anything about being Catholic. They just maybe every now and then show up at a mass and they, they receive communion, but they don't even really understand what it means. Or you might have people who show up and say, I'm a Christian and they come to worship service, but they've never really given their life over to the Lord Jesus Christ. They continue walking in sin. They continue doing whatever it is they want. Maybe they show up at Easter Sunday because it's religious and something good to do. Well, um, let me ask you another question. Can you be circumcised and not believe in God? Absolutely. People can be circumcised and not be believers in God. See, the issue is about faith. And that's what Paul is bringing to light here in Romans chapter 4. He's telling us that circumcision actually comes from justification and not the other way around. Paul says in verse 11 there that circumcision is the seal uh, of uh, righteousness. Or he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of faith. So what is a seal? Well, a seal is, we, we know what a seal is. A seal is to mark as property, uh, to mark that this is uh, belonging to someone, it's sealed by them or it's from them. And so circumcision is truly the seal of righteousness through faith. And that's what, what Paul is helping us understand, that you can't work for this. It has to come by faith. Now, you as a Christian might say, well, yeah, sure, of course, we all understand that. But, oh, dear Christians... We always fall into the trap of legalism. We, fall, we love to fall into the trap of legalism. 
We love to fall into the trap of doing works rather than saying, Lord, thank you, recognizing that all salvation comes from him and by his grace. And the works are the result of the justification. Uh, but, but Christians, we always love to, to know that this is right and this is wrong, or this is acceptable and this is unacceptable and, and all these sorts of things. And, and we need to recognize that salvation is solely upon Jesus Christ. Well, we read here, again, this word imputation comes up. And I said last week that uh, imputation means to judge as one's own uh, of another. And so what I mean by that, and we use this, as I said two weeks ago, we use this term in car insurance. I, I don't know other areas that they use the term imputation, but in car insurance, it's used still today very often. And the idea is somebody borrows your car, they go get in an accident. It's not their fault. It's your fault because your car insurance covers your car. And so by being your car, it's your accident, okay? That's where, how we use imputation still to this day. Uh, well, well, we're seeing here that, that because of faith in Christ, his righteousness is imputed to us. So um, we go on to see Galatians 5, 6 tells us this, for in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Now, this is a life-changing verse, and it should be at least. Now, it doesn't say that you can't uh, follow Jewish customs if you're a Jew. It doesn't say you can't go to synagogue, you can't be circumcised. Obviously, you're going to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. But what it does say is it avails nothing. Okay, that's just your tradition, your religious tradition. It's not saying that you should judge somebody for religious tradition. They get to keep their religious traditions. That's okay. Um, but, but it's saying that, but don't start thinking that it, it's saving you in some way or making you more holy or making you a better Christian. Uh, this is just saying that it doesn't avail anything uh, because it all comes by faith working through love. Whose love? Well, the the love of Christ. That's what it comes through, the love of God. Abraham believed while uncircumcised. He's the father of all Gentile believers, Paul is telling us, because he believed and was also circumcised. He's also qualified to be the father of all Jewish believers. So through Christ, you and I become children uh, or part of Abraham. And uh, he becomes our spiritual father. And uh, through, through Christ, the Jews uh, re- remain under Abraham as the spiritual uh, children of Abraham. So we can all call him Father Abraham, whether Jew or Gentile. Now, don't confuse this with a replacement theology, okay? That's not what I'm saying. Uh, there is bad theology out there that the church completely replaces all the Jews and all the, the, the covenants of the Jews. And that's not what we're saying, okay? Uh, but we are saying that we, we come under, we're grafted into that spiritual tree, uh, uh, as we'll get to later in Romans chapter 11. Okay, verse 13. Let's keep moving here. For the promise, 
that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect, because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. So now we're speaking about inheritance. And this is important. There was a promise made to Abraham. And then through Abraham's seed, uh, there's an inheritance to be received. So who are the inheritors? Uh, Who is qualified to be an inheritor of Abraham? That's an important question. Now, I want to say that Galatians 3.16, Paul actually defines the word seed for us. So we don't have to argue about this. We don't have to speak about, no, this, it's speaking about uh, uh, Isaac. No, it's speaking about Ishmael, as the Muslims will, will, would, would argue. Uh, this is what, how Paul defines the word seed. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, who is, what does that say? Christ, Okay. So Christ is really the true heir. So we are found in Christ, we also become heirs. We become uh, those who are qualified to receive the inheritance. Well, how does that work? Does it work by by works? No, No way, it can't. It has to be by faith. Notice that Paul says, Faith is, um, for if those, verse 14, for if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of no effect, because the law brings about wrath. Now, what, what's Paul saying? Well, he's saying if all of a sudden we interject and say that you've got to keep the law of God to become an heir to Abraham, then faith is totally void. And the law can't do that for you. What is the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law shows you as a transgressor. It shows that you have sinned against God. And, and knowing that you have sinned against God, what is the result? Well, it's wrath. It's punishment. It means that you're deserving of God's punishment. Uh, that's the purpose of the law. Now, the law isn't evil. The law is good. It comes from God. But the law shows us that we've sinned, uh, that, that we've, we've uh, gone against God's way, that we've trespassed against him. And so the law can't bring about salvation. It was never intended to bring about salvation. That was never why God gave the law at Sinai, if Paul is speaking about the law at Sinai. I'm not sure if he's speaking about it in general, the law, or he's speaking about it specifically in regards to Mount Sinai uh, when Moses was given the the tablets and, and the law, the Levitical law. But nonetheless, we know that the, that. The law doesn't actually bring about salvation because those who received the law, what state were they in? Were they in a state of total holiness and perfection? Not even close. In fact, they made a covenant with God. 30 days later, they break the covenant. No, actually, I don't even think it's 30 days total before they, they break the covenant with God and they worship a golden calf. All, all, it's all terrible. Um, so the law just shows that you are deserving of the wrath of God. So Paul finishes in verse 15, for where there is no law, 
there is no transgression. And so we know that if, if no one knows the law, if, there, if there's no law written, then it's, you can't transgress the law. Now, again, this isn't saying that God doesn't have a righteous standard. It's not what it's speaking about. But just the idea here that if, if there is no law, then there's no way to transgress that law. And so how do we come to a place where there's no law? Faith. Faith is, is how we receive that inheritance. Um, <clears throat> so... Look at Ephesians 2, 12 and 13 for a moment. Ephesians 2, 12 and 13. And I'm going to, should have marked all my ribbons here. Ephesians 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul begins to kind of lay this out a little bit more. Uh, I've got to, oh, it's already up there. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, uh, let me see, two twelve. Here we go. Uh, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, who is Paul writing to? He's writing to those in Ephesus. And he's not writing to just the Jews. He's, He's writing to... The Ephesian church, which could be Jews as well as Gentiles. And, and specifically, though, we get the idea that, no, he, he, he probably is, predominant, is probably a predominantly Gentile church because the way he words this, he says that at that time you were without Christ and being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promises, that would definitely be a Gentile because the Gentile didn't receive the covenant or the promise. They're not part of the commonwealth of Israel. They, they don't re- get, get to claim that. Uh, you know, it's kind of like even if I tried to claim to be part of the Hearst family and that really I'm the true inheritor of, uh, <laughs> of the Hearst Foundation and all these things or Rockefeller or whoever else, they're going to ask me to prove that. And I'm going to fall seriously short of that. And they're probably going to assume that I'm crazy. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, so they were far off from the commonwealth of Israel. They were strangers from the covenants and promises. Look at this. It says, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So, so here we see in Ephesians, as, as Paul shares this truth, that the Gentiles have been brought near to, this, uh, to Jesus. They've been brought into this fold and salvation through Jesus Christ. That's good news for us. I mean, this is one of those, those chapters that, yeah, I know it's wordy, it's a little bit technical and all those things, but as we understand Paul's arguments, it should really bring about joy in our own lives, and it should really set us free, and we'll, we'll continue here in just a moment with a couple of key words, but that joy it comes about because we realize it's not about me. It's not up to me. It's, it's about Christ, and it's up to him being good enough. And guess what, friends? He was good enough. <laughs> Jesus was perfect. So verse 16 of Romans chapter 4 says, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now I'm going to stop there for a minute. 
if inheritance cannot come from the law, it must come through faith according to God's grace. And that's, that's what verse 16 is telling us. And actually, our, our Bible, the Bible translator have added in a couple words to make this make more sense in English because the Greek is, is real kind of abrupt. It, basically, the Greek is, therefore, faith according to grace. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so the, the, our English translators have helped us understand this in our text that, that basically what he's saying is that inheritance comes through faith according to God's grace. That um, God by his grace. Now what is grace? Grace is, is kindness shown to someone who doesn't deserve it. In fact, he or she deserves the exact opposite of kindness. I, I've told the story before, but I, I remember Claire, man, uh, my middle daughter, she got in so much trouble with me one time. Uh, like she was ready to... To just be, because uh, I, I have a couple rules. One of them is no no lying. There were only a few things you got really spanked for, and that was one of them. She, I, I believe at this time she broke a window and then didn't tell anybody. <laughs> and so we found out about it, and even when we asked her, she still tried to lie. You know how kids are. And so it was like, okay, you're in big trouble. So I was trying to decide what to do, and I said, you know what? Get in my truck. She had no idea what she's getting in my truck for. So she gets in my truck. We drive around the corner. There's a wiener schnitzel right around the corner from our house. And I knew at the wiener schnitzel, they had a, like a Dairy Queen sort of thing. And so we pull into the drive-thru. And I said, Claire, what, what flavor do you want? She said, what? What flavor do you want? Do you want chocolate or vanilla? Uh, <laughs> she had no idea what was happening. She's like, chocolate? <laughs> so uh, one chocolate ice cream cone. Okay, so we pull up. Here's your ice cream cone. She's still like, I don't, can, can, can I eat it? <laughs> so we drive around back to the house, and I said, honey, I just showed you grace. What you deserve is a huge spanking. But instead, I gave you kindness. And I showed you kindness, not because you deserved it, but because I love you. And uh, she has never forgotten that incident. Uh, that has always stuck with her, the idea that she got to experience grace in that way. That is grace, that you're not getting what you deserve but rather you're getting kindness. You're, you're getting God's riches uh, through grace. So, so God gives us this opportunity to exercise faith in him because of his grace. That's amazing. I know, I know. We're like, well, can't I just do something? Can't, can't I just keep some law? Well, the fact is you can't. Even if I gave you a law to keep, even if God gave you a simple law to keep, Knowing your sin nature, you would break it. Knowing my sin nature, I would break it. Even if it was a great law, like it was every fifth day, eat, drink a chocolate shake, right? That's the law. That's how you're going to get salvation. You know what? Some of us on a fifth day would say, I think I might be getting lactose intolerant or whatever the case is. So anyway, um, so uh, it is by God's grace according to faith. Now, Paul continues on. He says, at verse 17, as it is written, I have made you father of many nations. And so Abraham now becomes the father of those who are circumcised and those who are not circumcised. Uh, in the presence of him who he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. This is going back again to Abraham. God 
call gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Well, what, what was Abraham when God called him? He was 75 years old. And what was Abraham's line when God called him? Dead. In fact, Sarah didn't even have a baby until she was 100. Okay, this is impossible. Okay, and, and uh, I, you know, my wife and I joke about like, if we ever had a baby again, she's like, oh, we're too old now. <laughs> like keeping up with the baby, we're glad to be out of diapers, you know. But, but the idea here is that, that uh, Sarah couldn't even have, uh, it was impossible for them to have a baby, yet God did this work. He called, he gave life to the dead and calls the things which do not exist as though they did. Now, verse 18, I love this verse. Who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. Now, what this is saying is, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. I know it sounds like a little difficult, but this is the idea of um, there's rational hope and then there's irrational hope. So rational hope would be like, gee, I hope this happens for me someday, but, but you believe it could possibly happen. Now, I don't play the lottery. I don't endorse, endorse playing the lottery, but I'm going to use this as an example. You might say, I hope I win the lottery. Well, you could only say that if you actually play the lottery, right? Uh, and, and you might say, I hope I win. Uh, but then if, if you knew that there was no money in the lottery at all to win and you're scratching off your ticket and you say, I hope I win the lottery, it'd be like saying, well, why would you hope that? It's totally irrational. And so where Abraham was at in his life and where Sarah was at in their life, it was contrary to hope for them to, to believe that they would actually have an heir. It was absolutely contrary but then Paul says, in hope believed. See, Paul didn't just believe irrationally, or sorry, Abraham didn't believe irrationally. He believed upon the living God, the God who could make this happen, the God who can do the impossible, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. That's what Abraham hoped in, verse 19. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief but was strengthened in faith giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. There are some key important passages in this in this. Uh, verses in this passage, or truths, I should say. First of all, that Abraham still didn't waver at the promise of God. You know what wavering would look like for Abraham? Wavering would look like, okay, God, you said it, but, you know, Hagar, my maidservant, or Sarah's maidservant, this is probably what you meant, right? So there was some wavering there. Uh, of course, but Paul is saying he didn't waver because he continued on the course that God had called him to. God didn't hold that against Abraham. But what does wavering look like for us? Well, wavering for us looks like, God, you said that your, your death, your grace is sufficient for me. That, that, the, the blood shed on that cross was sufficient for me. But let me help you out a little bit. Let me earn something. Because just in case... It's not good enough, I'm going to go get circumcised. 
just because it's, just in case your, your death wasn't good enough, I'm going to try to keep the law and the kosher law, and I'm going to try to, try to be a better, uh, a, a more holy person in my flesh, right? That would be faith that wavers. But faith that is fully convinced is the faith that continues on with dependence upon God. And look at what God says, or Paul writes, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. I love God's math. I will never understand it. The world will never understand the way God does math. You have a debit, uh, a huge debit, that you cannot pay you this debt that, that is growing and increasing day by day. Yet God says, believe in me. And then he not only cancels the debt owed, but it's paid for. And then he makes you an heir to this wonderful inheritance uh, of his kingdom. And God's math is incredible. He credits you. He counts it all up. He adds it all up and says, because you believed in Jesus you have righteousness. Verse 23, and we'll, we'll be finishing with this, the 23 through 25 tonight. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. And this is where the word imputation makes so much sense. And this is where we want it to be used. Remember, imputation is, uh, is being adjudged. Uh, hold on, I'm going to read the definition again so I don't mess this up. Uh, i got to back up here. Uh, I forgot to copy it down here t- toward the end of my message. So uh, impute means to judge as one's own of another. Okay, I wanted to make sure I got that right. So the idea here is that Christ lived righteous, you and I lived unrighteously. So our unrighteousness was imputed to Christ, and his righteousness was imputed to us. And that is how, and we'll see this uh, coming up, how God was able to remain just and still justify. It's an incredible gift from God. Uh, that Jesus, he raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our, of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Now, you have a choice at this point. As we come to the end of Romans chapter 4, you are at a crossroads at this point, and you have a choice. You can either say, well, I'm going to choose to continue to trust in myself and lean on my, uh, my own self for good works or to do something that outweighs my sin, which you can never do. Uh, and, and I'll look to myself for justification and, and righteousness. Or you can say, forget it. I surrender. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. That's what I need. I, I need the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and I'm ready to receive it right now. You give Jesus to me because I want to be forgiven of my sin. I don't want to be. Cre- I don't want to pay my own debt. I, I don't want to be guilty, uh, or uh, I don't want to receive the wrath of God. I want to receive the inheritance of God's grace. And so, what do we do? Well, we cry out to God. We just say, Lord, forgive me. 
Lord, I receive you. I'm ready to follow you. I'm done with this old life. I'm turning from the way I once lived, and now I'm turning to you, Jesus Christ, that I might have uh, that uh, share in that same resurrection as you and share in your righteousness. It is a wonderful gift from God. Let's go to prayer. Lord, we do thank you so much for your wonderful justification. Lord, how dare we ever think that our righteous works would avail anything. Lord, we thank you that you did what we could not do. And if you're in this room this evening and you've been trying to understand God's goodness and his grace, and tonight you're saying, you know what, I don't want to... I, I don't want to suffer wrath. I want to receive Jesus. You just pray right now, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I'm ready to be born again. Born twice, so we die once. You died, you born once, you're going to die twice. And so, Lord, I want to live, and I want to be forgiven of my sin. I'm ready to follow you. We thank you, Lord Jesus. And now as we come to your table, we ask that you just might meet us here and have fellowship with us as we remember both your death and your resurrection and your second coming. So be with us now, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're so glad you joined us tonight. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.